0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today, my guest is Susan Anderson, and we're going to talk about a topic that really, I think, impacts everyone in some way or some form, and that's abandonment. Susan is going to share her own story of how she got into this work of dealing with abandonment and then talk about what abandonment looks like and how it impacts our life and how just having insight therapy about it, just knowing about it, isn't necessarily going to help you over. Come, those abandonment wounds that may be impacting your life in negative ways. Great conversation. Susan is passionate about this work. So I was excited to do this interview and talk about this topic because I think it's just so universal to everyone. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. Before we do that, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. It really does help the podcast get found, and I really appreciate it. And it's really meaningful to me to just see the reviews and to see that people are listening. So thank you so much for the people who have done that. And also think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. right let's go ahead and get this episode rolling hello everybody welcome to the addicted mind podcast my guest today is susan anderson and we're going to talk about i guess all things abandonment which is a topic i think if anybody struggling with addiction probably faces or has faced in some form and so we're going to talk all about that. Susan, please introduce yourself.
1: Yes, I'm Susan Anderson, and I'm the founder of Abandonment Recovery, which is a program that helps people with so many issues, heartbreak, loss, self-sabotage, addiction, compulsion, all of those things, because abandonment translates to separation anxiety. And it's something we all share as human beings. It's universal. And we medicate that that feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling. It can be triggered in many different ways in adult life. But we medicate that feeling with all kinds of things, drugs, alcohol, food, television, yeah. sleeping, You know, reading too many books, listening to too many podcasts, et cetera. We medicate it in <laughs> yeah. many ways. Anything that gives us instant gratification.
0: Right, can pull us out of that feeling of abandonment. Yes. So let's just talk. Let's talk about what is abandonment. When you, when you're starting to say that, what does that mean? And I guess also I want to know how did this area of work become important to you? So we can we can handle both of those.
1: All right, well let's start there. I was sort of a specialist in separation anxiety and abandonment in a way because I specialized in helping people overcome heartbreak and loss and all of that for about 20 years. And then suddenly the love of my life, my marital partner of 18 years left me suddenly for another woman. And it was wow. so painful. And I discovered that my own tools were weak. They were not strong enough to really help me. That in fact, it did damage my self-esteem momentarily. That in fact, it did have the capacity to put me on my knees in a way that I really hadn't expected, because I was a very independent woman, you know, at the top of my career. So it was quite surprising. The experience motivated me to really research this this subject, this primal wound, this universal primal wound that we all share as human beings. We all have a fear of abandonment. And when it's triggered by an adult experience, it can create a cascade of processes, hormonal processes in the brain, all kinds of things happen. And no matter how strong we are, and no matter how high functioning and independent and so forth, we can all experience a serious emotional crisis if the trigger is big enough in adulthood.
0: Right. So you had this moment where you were you were left. You thought you had this partner and then all of a sudden that just disappeared and you're abandoned. And that triggered a huge, like you said, a cascade in you of all these other things.
1: At first, I didn't understand why it was so powerful. How could it affect me, who was a specialist in this area so badly, but as researching it, And really trying to look into the processes of the brain and speaking to all kinds of neurobiologists and people like that, I slowly learned what the process was that I was going through. And that allowed me to develop a program to help people. It's not a program that you have to learn science for, but it's based, it's based on that understanding. And it's a it's a program that involves doing because overcoming abandonment is a doing process, not just a feeling process. It's a right. it's recovery. It's an ongoing process, but there's an immediate improvement.
0: So you had abandonment in your adult life, but you said it like triggered this cascade of stuff. And when I first saw your form for like coming onto the podcast, we're talking about abandonment and I was kind of prepping for this episode. The first thing I went to and I thought about was childhood abandonment, right? Abandonment is children. And so I'm wondering how those two go together, if that makes sense. Because like you said, it's a universal Mm -hmm. feeling. We all have this fear of being alone. Yes. And here we, it played out.
1: We have a fear, a universal fear of losing the thing that we're most attached to. It could be subliminal, so we might not be in touch with it if it's not being triggered. But we all have a fear of losing our connection, of of, of abandonment. We all have it. It's a natural fear. It helps us form close attachments. It, it makes the world go round. It motivates us to be good to people and hold on to our attachments. And we all have a fear that it could end. And we also have hidden shame. We just all have this. It's part of being human. We have consciousness. And as we're developing as toddlers, we begin to feel bad when, when we're not powerful enough to get what we need. And we feel powerful when we can. And so we have this sort of tug of war inside. But there's a lot of shame in there. But it's subliminal. And then when we go through an adult experience of abandonment, it triggers all of these feelings that have been preserved in the part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain, called the amygdala. The memory, the emotional memory in the amygdala is indelible. We can erase experiential, you know, memories. We forget where we were, what happened, but we don't forget our emotions. So when we have a trigger, an adult, it brings back those feelings. We don't remember what caused them necessarily. We just get this sort of onrush of old feelings and we wonder, what is wrong with me? Why am I having such an overreaction? Why Why an emotional hijack of my whole adult functioning just because someone left me? I'm still a whole person. Why am I feeling like this? And the answer is that all of these feelings flood into the current wound and overwhelm us with feelings that feel out of proportion to the event.
0: Right. So that, that history of maybe earlier abandonment kind of comes back and adds to the current abandonment, like what you were describing for yourself, you had all these skills, you thought you were in this space, and then yet all of these feelings returned. And it kind of adds to that impact. Another part I was thinking about, too, is, you know, we all have this, we're also, I believe, like social animals, right? We're designed to connect, designed, made, evolved, whatever, right? To, to connect, to have that, social construct. And when we lose that, I think there's a primal fear.
1: It's primal because we can't survive on our own. We need to be part of a group. We need to have, we pair bond. We we don't reproduce without a partner. And we pair bond, we survive. When we think about early human history, we survive because we, we band together. And so the whole attachment energy that we have as human beings is part of survival. So when we lose an attachment, we feel it very
0: primally. Right. And we we know it. Yeah, we feel it in our gut and then we respond to that. And if we can't get that attachment back or that feeling of security, what I hear you saying, then we'll medicate it some way.
1: Yes. You know, we start to feed the emotional hunger that we're in with anything that we can find out the... The interesting thing is that the receptor sites in the brain for the neurons for separation anxiety respond, strangely enough, to heroin, which is number one. That's like instant relief from their separation anxiety. And secondly, alcohol and, of course, all the other drugs. But you can also medicate it with eating and, you know, many other ways of kind of self-soothing the most addictive forms of self-soothing the, the drugs and alcohol are the ones that are the most immediate in, in calming down those nerves there have been so many studies on rat pups and monkeys and dogs and and humans that show that when there is separation stress and you know laboratories can create that distress in by just separating rat pups from their mother and that that distress is most quickly subdued by those substances so the bottom line of this is that when we are going through this an adult trigger even if it's a mild trigger like just losing a friend or being alone for too long and not and being afraid we won't find a relationship or something of that sort the thing that we are most vulnerable to is becoming addicted to a substance or to an activity
0: something that just distracts us from this wound of abandonment this feeling of abandonment of being left yeah i I can totally agree that agree with that that makes sense to me what about when does loneliness come into play in this
1: loneliness is a huge adult trigger because When we can explain the loneliness as situational and we're temporarily alone because we're on a job assignment or something of that sort, it feels uncomfortable, but we have coping mechanisms. But when we feel alone because we don't have enough connections with the outside world, we don't have enough friends or we've lost a friend or we were craving love and a relationship and we haven't been able to get one. When the aloneness isn't voluntary, it's because it's sort of foisted upon us. We've gone through a breakup, or we're struggling to find a relationship, or we've lost some people in our lives. They've moved away or whatever, and we feel the the aloneness. It's very hurtful, and it triggers those old feelings from childhood. They don't necessarily rush into the wound and, and cause us to have a collapse the way like going through a breakup would. It's more of a subliminal feeling of depression and kind of not being sure of ourselves, maybe low self-esteem, low energy kind of thing.
0: But it kind of is pervasive through the whole system.
1: It's pervasive. Yes. It, it is something that we feel as a background tone through the day. We might not be conscious of where it's coming from or why we're kind of down, And we look at other people full of energy and just, you know, get ready to go do something exciting and new. And we're sort of eh, wondering why we don't have the same initiative. But very often it's coming from something subliminal like loneliness.
0: Yeah. And, And what about we've been talking a little bit about this early wound that comes kind of rushing back when we have an adult moment of abandonment. Right. One of my thoughts is, is that a lot of people, even people that I've worked with will say, yeah, I don't know. My childhood was great. I don't know what you're talking about and not even being able to see that early abandonment until maybe like they have this kind of episode that kind of forces that forward. I guess what I'm getting to is I'd like to talk a little bit about that early kind of abandonment that sets you up for this cascade?
1: Well, you know, a typical early abandonment type of scenario is that one or both of your parents are alcoholics. If you're the child of an alcoholic, there's a chronic kind of abandonment going on that you're needing something, but your parent has a primary relationship with the alcohol or whatever. And so that there's always kind of a subliminal feeling of abandonment Another one is if one of your parents is going through abandonment. Let's say your father left, your mother's devastated and going through an abandonment crisis and you're a kid and you're just not getting your needs met. So not only are you missing your father, but you're experiencing your mother not being responsive. So you're going through double abandonment there. And then on top of it, you're sensing your mother's abandonment. So you have all of these layers Of abandonment, but it can be something that happens to everybody, such as you go to nursery school and your parents are late picking you up and you panic, or you don't want to go to the first grade and be by yourself all day, or you know, it can be little things that really happen in the best of families where everybody's loving and caring. But the fear of abandonment and that awful feeling of maybe I'll never, I'll, they'll never find me and I'll, I'm all alone forever, that that awful feeling of being left on the doorstep can happen in the most normal of childhoods.
0: Right. But it can still have this impact, this lasting impact on somebody. I mean, the reality is, is you know, I think no parent, being a parent, no parent is going to be perfect like you said, in even the best of families, these kind of episodes can happen, but they can still create an uh, undercurrent. So there, there's, I guess there's, um, what am I trying to get to? I guess there's a, you know, what we respect a a normal level of abandonment, like that would be like, you know, just human. Yes. And then there's, like what you said, an alcoholic home where there's significant abandonment.
1: Yeah. I right? mean, if, and, if you have a normal level of abandonment, Which you're referring to something that just something we all share, no matter what parents do, we go to school and we see somebody doing better in math than we are. We compare ourselves to that person and feel I'm not good enough. And that feels like I've been abandoned by the powers of math. You know, it's sort of we get this without the parents. We have a normal level. But if we have, you know, some traumatic stuff going on, the parents are alcoholic or somebody's abusive or we've actually been left by a parent. I mean, there are tremendously painful abandonment scenarios, as I know you can imagine. Then we have a harder time going through life. We'll have a harder time modulating our emotions because the triggers are there. Because remember, the amygdala has recorded all of it indelibly. But with people who have traumatic abandonments, they also have strengths that most of the rest of us don't have. Because to survive these things and to cope, they develop strengths to get around them. They're survivors. And so they have have extraordinary strengths. If you go to an AA meeting or an, an NA meeting, you're meeting people who are pretty extraordinary. The very fact that they're there it seems miraculous that they would even consider giving up something so pleasurable. They're there, but that's not the main part. There's depth, there's caring, there's all kinds of qualities that develop as strengths as a result of going through abandonment. That's not to say that if you had an easy childhood that you can't become, you know, the most amazing person and, and you can't develop yourself, of course, but it's not all a bad picture. it just looks bad when we have a trigger, and those w- of us when
0: we're actually like feeling it yes. it's it's not pleasant it no. really kind of sucks it's it's an awful feeling i'm awful. I'm alone in the world i'm yes. left i have I have nobody yeah, and if that's overwhelming, then I would imagine also that then. Maybe there's some uh, coping mechanisms that go along with that. There's a lot of resilience in having to survive that in your childhood, and you can pull on those gifts that come with that, with, with trauma, and I totally believe that too. And then there's also this other side, which is, you know, when we have this traumatic abandonment and how we cope with it in our adult life and how maybe that doesn't always work out quite how we would like. And I am would love to kind of talk about that. Like, how would this show up if we haven't taken care of this wound?
1: Well, yeah, you really have a hard time taking care of the wound until you get to adulthood and can get engaged in abandonment recovery, because you just kind of grow up like a weed and you do the best you can and you have these strengths. But you also have, if you've had, you know, a lot of abandonment, you have a lot of self-sabotage. So, mm-hmm. That's how the abandonment wound does its damages. It then gets you to sabotage yourself. You repeat the thing that's so familiar. So you had rejection as a childhood. So you wind up going through adulthood, getting a lot of rejection or, you know, the self-sabotage can be, you know, chasing after the wrong people, always being attracted to the unavailable instead of, you know, having a mutual relationship or all kinds of all the addictions, that's all self-sabotage, but so many other forms of self-sabotage. Perfectionism is a form of self-sabotage yeah. and you can develop. I feel terrible about myself. So I'm going to be perfect. And that perfectionism can hold you back from really enjoying your life and, and being okay with not being perfect. So there, there's a lot of self-sabotage that comes out of it and that, that becomes. You know, you're then dealing with self-anger and self-frustration because you know you're doing it to yourself. So the abandonment recovery really is, it gets very deep because it has to deal with a primal wound. But it also is about your behavior and helping you take baby steps and incrementally start to overcome your self-sabotage.
0: Right. And that makes sense. I mean, if you have all this pain and maybe you're not totally conscious of it, like, perfectionism you know a lot of people can pursue perfectionism and not know they're pursuing perfectionism yet these emotions are are driving these Trying to soothe that wound, they're not really strategic for your life. They're emotionally driven. That don't really will never really take care of that wound. If that if that makes sense,
1: yeah, because they're sort of automatic. They're patterns. They're habits. You develop them in response to this feeling, and you did it sort of automatically, and and you're not thinking it. It bypasses the cognitive mind you're doing it automatically. And it's when your cognitive mind says, whoops, I'm defeating myself, I have to fix it. That's when a change starts to happen.
0: Right. And you you start to, you have to look at it in a a new way. So you have this concept called the outer child. I want to know about that and how you you frame that up. Because I, I think that would be really helpful for people to hear that concept
1: oh yeah the outer child is the that's the part that self-sabotages so if you think of your inner child as being like three four five six this innocent child who's feeling and wanting and yearning and you know pining away for something and hoping and dreaming think of your outer child as like the eight nine ten eleven twelve year old who's now reacting and developing bad habits like the habit of procrastination, avoiding, or the habit of, you know, having, giving, having a comeback for everything, reacting to people and having a nasty comment or whatever. The outer child is the one who grabs cookies when they're upset and stuffs themselves. Right. So the outer child patterns develop when you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So that's sort of the kid of the personality. And that's the part that's into the self-sabotage. When you get to adulthood, let's say your, your outer child pattern is avoidance and, you know, running away. When you were a kid, if you didn't like something, you just left. You just ran. You shut your bedroom door. That was it. When you're an adult and you're on your second date and the date doesn't, you know, you're feeling insecure and you like the person, but you're you're nervous. Running away is not going to be a good thing to do because now you've run from a relationship that is potentially great, but you couldn't hang in. You had to run away. So the habit formed when you were a kid, but the habit now as an adult doesn't work. So it's the adult self that has to say, oh, look what I did. My outer child sabotaged me. Now I have to be in control. So it's a, it's an awareness tool that can be very life-changing. And there are exercises to work with it. But it's an awareness tool to recognize that it isn't just the adult self making decisions, informed decisions with our cerebral cortexes intact. It's the habit part, the outer child that's really very often running the show.
0: And what makes this so so hard uh, w- well there's two two questions actually one is that we can go a lot through our life without the awareness that this is going on right we we just we're in these habits we're just doing them we're we're not even aware that they're sabotaging us we don't know right. that these habits are right. the actual problem and then the next part of that is how, why is it so hard to change it you know, I think this is what this is universal as human beings. But I like to talk about that part because, you know, part of this is changing, right? We want to make our life better. We want to want to get through this stuff. So th- that's a two part question.
1: Yeah. And, you know, once we become aware that we have this outer child part that's sabotaging our life and all of that, that's a great thing because it's it's insight. It's it's emotional insight. We're aware of it. We can see ourselves, you know, messing ourselves up. But awareness, insight, is only step one. Right. And we could have exquisite emotional insight. We could go to therapy for 20 years and lie on a couch and understand everything we're doing. But that's only insight. We have to take the insight. We have to take it on the road. We have to do things. You don't think your way out of abandonment. You do your way out. And that's when you take the insight and you actually do it. You, there are actions you can take that begin to systematically and incrementally overcome the behaviors.
0: I, I love that you're saying that because I think our natural tendency as human beings is to want to understand why. And there's this belief that if we understand why, then that's going to solve all our problems. But I think eventually people find out exactly that, right? We have this insight, yes. yet I'm still the same. I know I'm doing these things that are destructive and now I see it, but I don't change it. And you have to do it in that small incremental way, but you have to do behavior. You have to change behavior.
1: You have to change the behavior. And you know, it's frustrating. You know, I wrote the first book journey from abandonment to healing With a full understanding that human nature is people are looking for a magic bullet. They want one more book to help them. So I knew they would love the insight. I knew that they would read the book and say, oh, now I get it. But I wanted them to do the actual exercises, not just read them and understand them, but to do them. And human nature is that we're all built the same way. We'd all rather just read about it. We don't want to actually do it. So to motivate (laughs) people to do things differently, that that has been my my life's work is to is to provide that motivation.
0: Well, I I think like when we're when we actually have to do it, we have to actually, in a way, walk into those feelings, walk into abandonment, which we've been avoiding our whole life or, you know, we're so good at. And here it is. And this is in a way, I think abandonment is. Very primal, but it's almost terrifying, like that deep abandonment. It's well, I'd almost describe it as terror.
1: I mean, that's another thing with human nature. People have a fear that the abandonment is an abyss and that if they delve into it, they'll fall into the abyss and not be able to get out. That's a very common fear. It turns out there's a trampoline down there and you go boing, and it bounces you right back up into energy. But But human nature is we don't know that until we experience it. So the program yeah. doesn't ask people to strip themselves bare and risk that because, you know, I understand so well that, that that's asking too much faith and trust in people. So the program involves action steps that are incremental, that are baby steps, because they are difficult. And what they involve is patience because Rome wasn't built in a day, but you can begin inching your way in the direction of all your goals. You can inch your way there and a momentum begins. And then you do make bigger changes. But at the beginning, you kind of have to overcome the inertia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have this saying, and I don't know where I got it. That's been impactful to, to my life. It's like small hinges swing big doors. Oh,
1: that's I have to remember that. That's that, you know, and
0: it's like you don't need to make huge changes. Small changes actually can be really impactful.
1: Yes. Just as when you have an issue, like if you're a people pleaser and you know you're too much of a people pleaser so much that your friends don't respect you and you can't find a relationship because all you do is make it about the other person and you have to be less of a people pleaser. People think. They have to stop being a people pleaser, as if they have to make this huge leap. Not true. All you have to do is make the smallest improvement in that. You can still be a people pleaser, but maybe a little tiny bit less. And that difference is the one that makes all the difference in the world. So people that hinge concept that you just mentioned is exactly right. You don't have to make gigantic changes to have your dreams start to line up and start to just, you know, meet there. There you are welcoming your dreams. You need to make enough of a change just to get that door to swing. And, and it's an amazing thing that small changes make huge differences.
0: Yeah. And it's, and you don't feel so overwhelmed by it. You know, when you, you know, sometimes I think we, we love insight, right. But that doesn't necessarily get us where we need to go. And then when we're like, I got to go over there, I got to make this big, huge change. And it's just so overwhelming. So I don't do anything.
1: Exactly. I mean, some people hinge, uh, let's say you have a a problem, a, a relationship problem with your father and somebody has told you that in order to be free, you have to tell your father how you feel. You have to go up to him and you have to tell him what you want and what you need. Well, some people can do that. It might take courage, and they can do it, and they feel very good about doing it. Some people simply are not, can't do that; they're not ready to do that. That's not what they're going to do. So, if you're going to hinge their recovery on a task that they cannot do, at least yet, or maybe never, then you're go, you're you're helping someone face a kind of failure. The fact is, we all just inch the situation a little further along than it is. We don't have gigantic, huge criteria, but that inching that kind of a situation without, you know, forcing the person to do something uncomfortable, that inching can make all the difference. It can start a whole new level of relationships and connections and reaching goals that you never thought you'd reach, just that small increment.
0: Right. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, because a lot of times people who, who come in and are dealing with addiction, most of the time, what I see is there's some kind of trauma in the background. There's some kind of post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress. And I want to understand how those kind of things impact abandonment, those big stressors that a lot of people who are in recovery have experienced in their early childhood, how that relates to abandonment.
1: Well, Post-traumatic stress disorder of abandonment and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, CPTSD, those are equivalent because what kind of ongoing sustained trauma is there, but feeling chronically abandoned by something? And we're having to take the word abandonment and stretch the meaning a little bit. But people who have childhoods where, let's say they have three siblings, all of their siblings received lots of attention and were very successful, and they themselves had a learning disability or they weren't good athletically and they feel inadequate. Their chronic abandonment isn't so much that somebody's abusing them, but that they they don't feel up to par and it made them feel bad about themselves and they felt very vulnerable to rejection and so They wind up uh, doing what the peer group is doing, and they wind up getting addicted, and it feels good, and it it also connects them with other people in the peer group. So you find that a lot of people in recovery wind up going back and working on the original situation – they might not remember the details because, you know, when something is traumatic and that what I just described, that would be pretty traumatic. Having all those feelings and feeling inadequate and, you know, your brothers can do this and you can't. You you might forget all that, but, you know, the feelings are there. So people in recovery have a lot of feeling work to do. Then they do it
0: right? because
1: right. they're not medicating themselves. So the feelings are hanging out. And they also have support to be able to to work on their feelings. But the feeling work is from unresolved childhood abandonment trauma. All of us have some of it. Some of us have a lot of it.
0: Right. Absolutely. So as we're talking, we were, we were talking a little bit earlier, we we're like insight. We need some insight to kind of be able to put this in place and, and see it. But then we need to take action. If if someone was out there listening, what might you say to them? Like what would might be some first steps that someone who has this, maybe they have an inkling that they're struggling with abandonment. What are they going to do or what should they do or what actions are they going to take or should they take?
1: Yes. Well, they really need to first recognize the fact that everyone's looking for a magic bullet. That's why addictions are so popular. Everyone wants to pop a piece of candy in the mouth or get drunk or whatever is quick to get over it. Everyone's looking for a magic bullet. And that includes looking for like, you know, five steps to overcoming abandonment, which when I was getting my first book published, that's what the publishers wanted me to have. Like, (laughs) you know, quick steps. But but what they need to recognize is that they have to enter on a journey of developing a new relationship with themselves, and it's something they have to really work at and take very seriously. They need help. The help is provided in, you know, in my workshop, in the in in my in workshops, in my books, in my videotapes that they can download, and in on my website. Uh, the, all the help is there, but they need help, and they need to start developing a new relationship with themselves. And that new relationship will be a basis for tremendous growth and, tr- and change. But it's, it doesn't happen by osmosis. There are steps they, they need to take. And you're asking, like, what are some of those steps? So one of them is to use your ability to visualize your imagination in a very goal directed way. You're not just daydreaming. You're specifically creating images in your mind of yourself succeeding in the near future at things that you haven't been able to do yet. Realistic pictures, but pictures of yourself that are where you are able, your sort of your future self, are able to do things that were hard for you to do today. And you picture that and you don't just sort of daydream it, you picture it. You might write down these images and you put them on the screen of your mind a minimum of 3 times a day and you, it of course there's a program that all that people can read right, and, right. about this and another thing is to create use your imagination again imagination is a higher power in abandonment recovery Use your imagination to create an image of yourself as your inner child, your inner child within your inner child, the abandoned inner child, the most, you know, primal part of yourself. Use your imagination to personify that. Get an image of yourself as this inner child and then create, it's a written exercise, a dialogue between your adult self and this inner child. And it isn't for your adult self to go blah, 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 and tell your inner child self what it should be feeling or what life is all about. It's getting your inner child self to begin to tell your adult self, here's what I really feel like. I feel hopeless. You've abandoned me. I'm mad at you. I don't know if you're ever really going to help me, but if you would help me, it would help a lot if you could blah, blah, blah. And then the inner child begins to, to say how it feels and what it wants and the adult self is drawing it out and nurturing it and developing a relationship, a trust relationship with it. This dialogue is life-changing.
0: It's like slowly creating that positive dialogue within the self, that positive relationship over time, that this, you can change this relationship with yourself and with your abandonment trauma and, and how it impacts you.
1: Well, you know, people people say things like, you need to love yourself before you can be in a relationship with another person. Oh, but how do we right. do that? It's such an easier said than done platitude. Everyone that I've ever met would like to love themselves more. If only we could just, I love myself. And if only we could recite affirmations in the mirror and have them get in deep enough that we really love ourselves. But the... Love is an action verb, so we can't do it that way effectively. We can help ourselves a little bit, but we won't get in deep enough. The only way to do it is through this dialogue. You have to actually create a love relationship between this adult part of you and this emotional part of you. You actually create love through a dialogue. It's a little hokey and... Not everybody gets into it at first because it feels hokey at first for some right, people. Right, yeah. But and if it's written it it gets no matter how skeptical people are it gets it starts to get real. But it creates It, it starts to come self-love. in and that
0: becomes a Yeah, it's it comes in and it starts to create that relationship over time it, that that is is kind of this loving relationship with yourself and nurturing yourself through this. Yes. So one more question, does anybody get rid of this abandonment trauma and have it disappear? Or is this something that we're consistently managing or dealing with?
1: Well, every one of the emotions that we've ever felt has been indelibly recorded in the amygdala and the emotional brain. you know, we don't get rid of the wound, so to speak. We learn how to use the energy inside the wound to for a positive relationship with the self. The energy is attachment energy. It's the powerful force of attachment that has been thwarted by abandonment, by the father moving out or the mother being abusive or all of these things. The attachment energy has been thwarted Once we learn how to use that thwarted energy, that human force of attachment, we use it to attach to ourselves in a loving way, in a loving, nurturing, self-accepting way, we actually make changes. So that's how it works. We, we, We redirect the energy that's in there.
0: And going back to what you were saying at the very beginning, which is all of those wonderful gifts that come out of this trauma can now be used in a way that makes someone's life really meaningful to them and really powerful and and positive. And it's taking all of that and transforming it.
1: It is. And you'll find, you know, with people who I'm sure you've already discovered this in your work, that people wouldn't trade their histories for anything because they realize that what they learned from it and the strength that they gained from it. So you don't sort of take this, the wound away. You don't remove anything. You're really using it in a constructive way. And once you learn how to do that, that's it. You're you're on it. You you've got it.
0: Absolutely, couldn't agree more. So we're running on our time here, and I usually have one more question I like to ask every guest, and that's if someone is out there struggling with abandonment, they're they're having a really hard time, and you could tell them one thing. What would you want to tell them?
1: There's hope. There's lots of help. There's a a very easy-to-do program it involves doing. There's a website that helps hook you up to this program or to all the books and the workshops and all the rest of the resources and tools. Abandonment.net is the website. But that there is hope. It it feels so overwhelming and impossible trying to get rid of shame and trauma and heartache, but it isn't. There actually is hope.
0: There actually is hope go for it, do the work, dig in, find the resources and do it. I will put all those links in the show notes as well. So people can go to theaddictedmind.com and find all your information and get a hold of you. And if they're struggling with this, just encouraging them to reach out and do the work because there's something amazing on the other side.
1: Right. That's great. Thank you.
0: Thank you for coming on to The Addicted Mind.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you, Dwayne.
0: All right, everyone, thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can check it out there and get all the links to Susan's materials. And if you're struggling with abandonment, like she said, there's hope, get support, reach out for that support and keep going forward. And one small favor, if you got a lot out of this episode, Please write a review in iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. That would be awesome. I really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you on the next episode.